Very excited this morning. We have a special uh, guest preacher with us today. His name is uh, Aaron Roy, Pastor Aaron Roy, and um, his partner, uh, Dave Clark, and Andrew Franklin and I had lunch about two months ago and uh, just had a sweet time of getting to know each other a little bit uh, and uh, decided that we wanted to invite him to come and share with us. So let me tell, tell you a little bit about uh, Pastor Aaron before he comes and shares with us. After He's originally from the uh, East Coast and uh, various places. Uh, after coming to the Lord and receiving a call to ministry, uh, he ended up at Moody Bible Institute where he studied uh, biblical theology, uh, worked in the inner city, doing ministry in the inner city in Chicago, and uh, most importantly met his wife Sugar at Moody uh, Bible Institute. So um, if nothing else good came out of your time there, I'm sure that was the, that was the best thing, right? So unfortunately Sugar um, is, is traveling today, so she's not able to be with us. So uh, Aaron's got all three of his kids uh, on his own this morning, so even more props to you for succeeding and getting here and everything. Um, Aaron is pastor of Living Hope Neighborhood Church, which is in Richmond, and just to, on the north side of Richmond. And he came in 2008 with uh, Sugar and their, and their three boys, uh, and uh, it's been kind of a restart uh, of that church, and so they've been doing ministry there in a wonderful way. One of the special things that they have is on Saturday mornings, they have a worship service and a, 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 lunch, a breakfast connected for people in need. And they just have a wonderful ministry there. Um, they're able to share the gospel with people and then also to provide food every Saturday, which is very impressive to me. So um, just a wonderful thing. We originally got connected through the Gospel Coalition, uh, connect, seeing the, uh, their connection there. Uh, and then um, as part of our city mission initiative with Andrew Franklin, uh, we thought we would, we would want to build a stronger bridge uh, in Richmond and made that connection with Aaron and with Dave and had that lunch together. Uh, and so we've invited him to come and share with us this morning. He's going to be preaching from 1 Peter, so I'm going to invite you to get out your Bible and open up to 1 Peter. Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and uh, we'll give one to you. Just uh, want you to be able to follow along. 1 Peter chapter 1, um, verse 1. Uh, and in that Bible that we hand out, it's page 872, 872 that you're going to be looking at. Um, 1 Peter 1. And, um, shall I pray or do you want to pray? Okay, come on up here. <sighs> So this is Aaron. Thank you so much for being with us today. Mm. Um, God, we, we uh, yeah. Thank you. Amen. We thank you for uh, what you're doing in Richmond, and we just pray your hand of blessing upon it right now. Um, even as they gather and worship today, we pray that you would be filling them with the Spirit, that they would be continuing to be strengthened to, to reach out to the, the community there. We know there are many needs, and you are meeting those needs through this church, and you've got plans to meet them in, in many more ways in the, in the future. And um, we are so grateful to know them and to have this uh, opportunity to to uh, be partnering together here this morning, and uh, we thank you for your words in Scripture. Speak to us through them. Speak to us through uh, Aaron's study time, and and uh, just uh, have us leave here um, a little bit closer and, and, and more like Christ than when we came in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you, brother. Well, good morning. <clears throat> it is so cool to be here. Uh, am I good as far as level and all that stuff? Um, Man, I, I've been really looking forward to kicking it with you guys this morning and hanging out. Man, y'all were jamming. Miguel, uh, where you at? Jamming over there, man. And uh, that one girl on the, where's she at, on the keyboards? Yes, man. Y'all got soul here, man. And so I was just really blessed by that. Um, man, thank you guys for allowing me to be here. Pastor Andrew, thank you so much. Um, it's been cool to get to know him and the other Andrew 
and um, I'm just excited for what God has for us this morning. As, as he said, I'm a pastor at Living Hope Neighborhood Church, and uh, we covet your prayers. We, our church is five years old, and uh, we're seeing God do some amazing things that only he can take credit for. And uh, so it's been fun just to sort of, we don't really know what we're doing, but God does. So he's just been doing his thing and um, it's, it's pretty cool. So, um, and anytime you guys want to come and hang out with us on a Saturday, uh, feel welcome. I was, uh, Pastor Andrew just said, we may be uh, collaborating with some um, work projects and things like that. So I would love to get to know uh, more of you. So, but let's jump into the word of God. Amen. Amen. All right. First Peter chapter one, and I'm going to read verses one through twelve. First Peter chapter one, verses one through twelve. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect who are sojourners of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, unto an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who by the power of God God are guarded through faith unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been put to grief in manifold trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, that perish, though it is proved by fire, may be found unto praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Whom, not, whom having seen your love, on whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice greatly with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Concerning which salvation the prophets sought and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what time or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did point unto, when it testified beforehand, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow them, to whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto you did they minister these things, which now have been announced unto you through them that preach the gospel unto you by the Holy Spirit sent forth from heaven, which things angel desires to look into. This is the word of God. So this is probably one of my favorite passages of late. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll first start out by saying that uh, ministry sometimes is just weird and crazy. And um, sometimes life is weird and crazy. And I'm coming out of a season where the last six months of, pa- of the past year was one of some of the darkest times of my spiritual journey. Um, very deep depression very much um, a time where a lot of tears, <laughs> and I didn't even know why. <laughs> I would just be in my room weeping, and I was literally forced to go to the things that I've been preaching for so many years. I'm in ministry now for over 15 years, and I was forced to go to those things, and God said, you're going to believe this, 
And so I remember sitting in my room often, and I would open up the Psalms with tears in my eyes, and I would begin to say to God, literally, God, I don't believe this right now, but I need you to give me faith. And I would just, with tears in my eyes, begin to read this. And and there was a few passages that really began to touch me. One of them was Isaiah 55, which I would just... Man, we sang about being thirsty and coming to the well this morning. Man, Isaiah 55 is like food to a thirsty soul. But then there was this passage also, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 12. And in the messiness and the hardness and the drama of life, and if we're honest, man, it's life. I'm not the only one who goes through craziness like that, right? Seems like life is like parallel tracks, right? And you got over here, you got joy and Super Bowls, and graduations, and food, and crazy kids, and it's great, right? It's just running. But on the same sort of running right parallel to that is grief, and cancer, and ornery kids, <laughs> and, and, and uh, broken promises, broken relationships. And so as we sort of navigate through this world where there's these parallel tracks, What is it that we are supposed to do? How are we supposed to live in the midst of this with so many highs and lows and and, and sort of we're supposed to inject like the Bible and God and church and all this stuff into this craziness? What is it that God tells us ordinary folks who go to work, have children, struggle to pay bills, have dysfunctional families, like, what is God telling us? I want to know how this works. And, and this is what God was teaching me. I have to tell you, beloved, that, man, I got into a bad root of being a pastor and not being a son of God. And this was the passage that sort of made me think, what does it mean to be a Christian in this world? And that's what really the book of First Peter is about. How do we who are ordinary live in light of extraordinary truths? It is written to people just like you and I who are trying to figure this whole thing out. Interestingly enough, it's not written to people who at this time who are being beat up yet. They're not being killed for their faith at this time, at this particular time, although it is coming. So the word suffering in, in 1 Peter is there all the time. They're, he's preparing them like a good pastor for what is to come. So it's one of those books that is written to ordinary people. I know that most of the time when we read New Testaments, we, we think the New Testament, we think that they were always being persecuted all the time. And there was a lot of that persecution, but if, if, if it serves, I think, I think, now some of you may disagree, but I think that the date of this actually falls where there was kind of some peace going on as far as persecution. He is preparing them for a great persecution, but it hasn't come yet. And it's kind of interesting. Some of us are in places right now, we're on the top of the mountain. We feel great, and there's life, and there's joy, and the gospel seems like good news, and God is good, all those things. But there's some of us in this room who are really in the valley if we just keep it real. We come in here with our face on and our Christian smiles and stuff like that, but let's just keep it real. Some of us are hurting in this room. And so there's those who are on the mountaintop, those who are in the valley, Those who are being afflicted, those who have cancer, those who have great children, those who have wayward children. And man, 1 Peter 
speaks to all of that. And he starts out this book, he starts out the book by saying, uh, I think one of the most amazing uh, verses in Scripture, if you know the context, he says this, Peter, who is writing now to a mostly non-Jewish audience, here's what he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, I'm very encouraged by that first sentence this morning because Peter who is who wrote this letter. Peter is the one who is called often the apostle of hope. Peter, who had this living power, this living hope in him, and it was constantly dwelling upon him. It is him who wrote this. Peter, knuckleheaded, crazy, foul-mouthed Peter, who was a bigot, who hated uh, non-Jewish folks. God had to check him. This is the dude who is writing now to mostly non-Jewish people. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times, the angry man who uh, stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. He struggled with all these racist tendencies. And so we see when we see, man, Peter wrote this. Isn't that encouraging for people like me? I don't know about you, but I am jacked up. I have some broken daddy wounds and craziness going on in me. And man, just to see that this guy, God is fulfilling his promises in this guy. It just reminds me of the power of the gospel and the idea of hope in the midst of all this. I mean, think about this, man. This dude had been transformed. And he's writing a letter now. To these people, the power of the gospel is steady and it will accomplish what it sets out to do. And for some of us who maybe have been in church our whole life, that doesn't mean a lot to us. But man, for me, the Lord saved me when I was in prison. And I know I am an unworthy dude. But to be honest, just because I was in prison doesn't make me more unworthy than you. We are all jacked up and messed up, and yet the power of the gospel can take us in all of our messiness and use us for the power and the glory of God. That is really cool to think about. He takes us in all of our mess, and He makes us like Him, even to the point where we can begin to minister and be used by Him. Peter had been rebuked and refined. He had been broken and built up. He went from cowardly to courageous. He went from bigotry to building bridges because of the power of the gospel. This should encourage some of you because some of you say, man, surely God cannot use me. And you say stuff like, I get this all the time at my church. They'll say things like, brother, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) And I look at them and say, brother, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) And some of us, we, we understand that, but the reality is, is whether we grew up in the church or not, or, or we have this sort of outwardly sin that everybody was seeing, it doesn't matter where we're at. We're broken, yet God can use us. And so it says here, the apostle Peter wrote this letter. God truly can transform us. So let's jump in, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, that is such a full picture of the gospel for hurting thirsty souls like you and I. And and let's just break this down. Why? Why is this available to us? It says, first and foremost, according to his great mercy. Think about that. You guys know what mercy means, right? There's, There's mercy and then there's grace. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserved. And grace is what? God giving us what we didn't deserve, right? And so he says, according to his great mercy. Is that your view of God this morning? I'll be honest with you, for me, for the longest time, because of my daddy issues and my wounds, I often looked at God like an angry landlord who was just letting me live here. And, and I was just sort of cowering under him, and, and I would just, when I would mess up, I would be like, oh my gosh, he's, I just had these visions of like a Zeus-like figure who had on this white robe with this big belt, and he held like lightning bolts in his hand, and he was going to throw it at me every time that I messed up. And God had to change this in me. And this is one of the beautiful things that all this gospel, this newness of life, is because God is a merciful God. God is merciful. I think of what Pastor Andrew mentioned earlier. There was 21 guys who gave their life. And yet we look at that and we say, why, God, what in the world is going on? And you think of their family and their children's their children, and I think, man, what is going on? But I hear this, and I say, God is merciful. And we may not understand it. It may seem crazy right now to say that in that current situation, but he has given us all that we have and given us the gospel because he is a merciful God. And then he gives us three sort of uh, views of the gospel, past, present, and future. So he gives us He says, first, he has caused us, look at verse 3, he has caused us to be born again. God has already done this in the past. We were once dead and in our sins, and God caused us to have new life. I don't know about you, but here's a heart check. This is a, I don't know what you would call it. This is a barometer of where you are with God. When you hear that according to his great mercy, he, God, has done it. He has caused us to be born again. Does that still do something for you? Has the gospel become common and old news to you? Or when you think about that, you say, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember I was broken and lost in my sin, and he did. He did it all. It wasn't me. If it was up to me, I would still be running, but he has caused me to be born again. You see, some of us, one of the things that we deal with as human beings is that the gospel becomes common to us. Good news becomes ordinary news. Great news becomes old news. And if one of the ways that we're constantly doing, uh, we're asking God, God, am I growing? Am I, am I doing the things that I should be doing? Where am I at with you? I know I'm saved, but am I growing in the things of God? Well, let me tell you this. If the gospel means a lot to you, you are growing in the things of God. If you have never gotten over the gospel, 
then you are growing in the things of God. And I know that you guys hear that all the time from Pastor Andrew because he's a gospel-centered preacher. And you're going to hear from me, this is the lifeblood, this is the energy, this is the fuel by which we must live. Must live. We must say to ourselves, we must go back to that time, we must remember what God has done for us. Think about it, you were dead and completely about you. You had no spiritual life. You were unable to do anything that was righteous. And yet God, in his great mercy, stepped in. You were running straight towards hell and destruction, and you loved it. Even if you were religious, you were running that way. But God, in the past, stepped in and has caused us That is an amazing phrase right there. He has caused us to be born again. The initiator, the hound of heaven has come to us and says, listen, I'm the one who does this. And truly we could say salvation is of the Lord. So he says, you've been born again. That's the past. Then he says present. You've been born again to what? A living hope, a present reality. Notice the word living there. It is alive. It is present. It is active today, right now. Not only did God save us from the penalty of our sin, but the power of, our, of sin in our life right now. So we have a living hope. Man, I don't know about you, but these last six months, the living hope part has been really hard for me to, to, to grasp a hold of. I mean, there were many times, man, where I was just so messed up and I just thought, God, I know that you have saved me, but I need you now. And he would bring me to this verse. And I would read it over and over and over again until, like, I began to believe that there was hope in the midst of this depression. I've never went through something like that. I've counseled people through stuff like that. I've never went through a dark season of my soul like that. And yet, I, I kept coming to this and saying, man, there's, I know I've been saved, but God is saying there's a living hope now. I just find it interesting that Peter opens up this book by reminding these folks of the gospel. You know they knew it, just like you know it. You've heard it, and yet he realizes that the only sort of present reality that is going to get them through things and is going to prepare them for what is to come is to be reminded of the gospel and its current reality, a living hope. As you've heard many times, the gospel is much more than a time when you said a prayer. And ask Jesus into your heart, and then you somehow move on to greater, better things. No way the gospel is for Christians every day. You guys hear that? It's a living hope today. I love this quote. One brother said this, we have the knowledge of the gospel, but we deny the power of the gospel in our day-to-day lives. Living hope. Another guy says, the further into the gospel we go, then the bigger it gets. There is no way for us to wear it out. 
See, that is so good for me to hear. There are times, how many of you as husbands, you blow it? Wow, just saintly husbands in here. Only like four people. So only Pastor Andrew and I are jacked up. Amen, brother. Amen. So we need this gospel, right? We need a day-to-day living hope. And like the, the, the bigger the gospel, the better. And, and I think about it for my own heart. Like my heart condemns me. My heart tells me that I'm not growing. My heart tells me, my flesh tells me that I'm not even a child of God at times. And I begin to question things. But what do I do? My tendency is to what? To get back on the spiritual hamster wheel and do more. Right? Get on there and start running again. Okay, if I just do this, if I just do this, I just do this. And then God, he has me, right? No. It says that we should go into the gospel again and begin to preach that to ourselves. And our hearts condemn us. I have bad days with my children. I had a bad day this morning. Seriously. I woke up with my three kids whom I love and adore. And I just was just like trying to get everybody ready. And I get frustrated. And my 10-year-old my looks at me and he just knows. He's just like, Dad, chill out, man. I'm being a horrible father. I'm just rushing through things, and I'm trying to be, do what I do and all this type of stuff. And, and I get in the car, and I just get broken. I'm about to go preach, and this is how I'm acting. Yes. What do I do? How do I come in here after you have a bad morning? I remember the gospel, that I don't stand before you as someone who needs to please you or somehow impress you. I stand in the grace and the mercy of God. And I say, yes, I am unworthy to preach to these people, but I am forgiven and God can use me because he uses people like Peter. So it's a living hope when we are bad husbands and our hearts condemn us and we doubt when we commit that same sin again and again that we have been struggling with for years. We have to preach this current living hope. Some of you are exhausted spiritually. And I'm not saying that because I know you all. I just know that that's the case for every church. That there are people who are spiritually exhausted in the church. People who are trying really hard to be right and to do right and to say right things. And you're worn out. And what you need is not more stuff to do. What you need is a living current reality that says that even on your worst day, that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. That he's not angry with you. Actually, the Bible says he delights in you. Can you imagine? Like, you, you know, it even says that you are righteous. That when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous. How many of you feel righteous this morning? Yes, none of us. But we actually are by the grace of God and what Christ has done. This living hope tells us day to day that we who are unrighteous are actually righteous in the sight of God. And that means that if God were to come back today, because he could come back today. Y'all believe that? Some of y'all are like, I hope he don't. <laughs> I got stuff to do. But that means, the gospel means for our, our, the living hope is that if he comes back today, 
And it, look, I want to share a story real quick. I know I'm running out of time here, but check this out. I was in Bible college, and there was this cat that, that um, always would get up really early. You know, the Bible says that it's like a curse for those who, like, get up real loud in the morning and early. It says that in Proverbs. Like, it will be received. So I would see this dude early in the morning, and he would be happy. I'd be like, man, come on, man. You can't be happy at 6.30 a.m. And so here I am, this thug, freshly out of prison in Bible college, and here comes this happy dude every morning. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is wrong with this guy? And so here's what he would say. Lord's my witness. He would come up to me and he would say, today could be the day. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was like, today could be the day. And I'd be like, yep. And he, then he'd, he'd press in. I'm like, get away. He'd press in. He'd say, and if it's not today, we're one day closer to when it will happen. And that drove his life. I mean, and I know this dude, he had some messed up stuff going on in his life. Not like him, just stuff that he was dealing with, with his family and stuff. And yet every day he had this living hope that today could be the day. Man, in our busy American lives, it's hard for us to think like that. It's hard for us to be reminded by this eternal reality, this living hope. But this is what Peter is saying to Christians like you and I. He says, blessed be the the God and Father of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, past, presently, to a living hope. And then he tells us how. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. From the dead. How does this happen? How are the unrighteous made righteous? How do we have living hope? How are we caused to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? I mean, God's wrath and deserved and perfect judgment was laid on Christ. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He satisfied the terrible, good wrath of God. And we know God was satisfied by this offering because Jesus rose from the grave. So think about it. Everybody else who offered sacrifice unto God, it was always incomplete. That's what the Old Testament is about, just people blowing it, right? It was always incomplete. It was just shadows. And then here we have someone who steps on the scene and God says, yes. I will receive that. I will accept that. That is good enough. Not what David did. Not what Solomon built me. Not what all the psalmists wrote. None of that. This is what satisfies the wrath of God. The sacrifice was sufficient. And because of his resurrection, we who were once dead have been resurrected as well. Currently. That's a living reality. That's a living hope. It says that we have been resurrected with Christ. The dead have been raised. But again, we have to ask ourselves, does that do anything to our hearts? So we saw the past reality, this past uh, uh, thing of the gospel that says that God caused us to be born again. We see a present reality where we have a living hope. And then we have a future 
something to look forward to. Look, what has he saved us to? To an inheritance kept in heaven by God. Have you thought about that lately? Have you thought about sort of this extraordinary truth that we need to hear? That we messy people, we need to understand is that, man, that he has called us to something that is far greater than we could ever imagine. You know that, what's that old saying? Um, Don't be so, what, heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Can I just say something? If Pastor Andrew, if you said that that's right, forgive me for what I'm about to say. That's a bunch of bull crap. Did you say that? Okay, good. Um, I won't be preaching next service. So, um, um, but man, what does Peter say? Peter says, I want you to understand and think about all the time that there is something greater for you. And there is something more than this life has to offer. But let's be honest, folks. That is hard for us to do. How can we think about this inheritance that is undefiled? That is being kept, guarded is the language there. It's being guarded by God. And it cannot be taken away. And that's why Jesus says, right, when he says that lay for yourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. Why? Because people can come in and steal it and rust can, I mean, uh, uh, moths can eat it and rust can corrupt it. But rather lay for yourselves treasures in heaven. This sounds great from the pulpit. But this is one of the hardest things for us self-sufficient Americans to actually believe and live in light of. And yet Peter says that this is exactly what should drive your life. 1 John 3, said, it starts out, um, 1 John um, 3 starts out where he says, what great uh, love the Father has lavished upon us, right? That we could be called the children of God, and we are the children of God. And then a few verses later, he says this. Oh, it, this is amazing. He says that the future hope actually has a present sort of reality for you. He says this. For we shall see him like he is. One day we're going to see him as he is. And we shall be like him because we see him as he is. And then the very next verse says this. He who has this hope purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Present reality. The future hope brings purity of life to our current situation. And yet, if we're honest, when is the last time we thought about it? When were we the annoying guy who came up to our brother and said, hey, man, today could be the day, right? Today could be the day. And if we're not, if it's not today, like we are one day closer to the time where we will receive everything that God has. I thought about that as I was preparing for this. We We get everything that God has. So, like, I was thinking, like, Jupiter. Like, Jupiter is huge, man. There's a red spot, and I think the red spot alone, you could fit, like, eight suns, I mean, eight Earths in it or something like that. You guys are much smarter than me. But anyway, I thought, Jupiter is mine. (laughs) I just, I just, this inheritance that is being kept in heaven for us. This heavenly, merciful Father who loves us and wants to give all that He has to us. And no one can take it away from us. Not cancer, not honorary spouses, not crazy kids, none of this. Not bad bosses, not failed educational pursuits. None of that can take this away. 
So I hope that if one thing you leave with is this, that today could be the day. And that's a good thought to have. That's not a pie in the sky. That's not some unrealistic view that's going to jack you up if you focus on it. Actually, it's going to give you life in this messiness that we call earth. All right, I only have a few minutes. Let's keep going. Uh, Verse 6 through 12. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. (laughs) Does that describe us? We don't see him. We're veiled. We, we can't see him like that. But even though we don't see him, is, is, is our life still marked by joy because of the gospel? Number, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Then he goes on to explain more about this gospel, how it took place. Verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the, insub- and the subsequent glories. And then listen to what it says in verse 12. And I'll break that down quickly and then we'll end. It was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were serving not themselves but you, us. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. So he says, rejoice in this. What is the this? It was just three through five. The gospel. The past, present, and future realities of the gospel. He says, rejoice in this, even though you're going to go through hard times. And the result of this, just to move forward, is a genuine faith and an unwavering hope and optimism. And then he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets were prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. So in a nutshell, God has been planning since the beginning of time and using his people, the prophets and Moses, to bring forth this good news. And it has been God's good timing. And then finally in verse 12, just for time's sake, he says, and Peter says that the angels have been watching (laughs) and they're amazed. What? Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. The angels have been watching this unfolding plan of the gospel. They have seen this. They have, they're longing to look at this, and they're saying, how can this be? They're in awe of this. They're in awe of the gospel. They're in awe of the fact that a holy, righteous God loves sinners. I mean, think about it. These are the angels who are in heaven, and they see God every day. Daily, and you can go to Isaiah 6, and there's these weird creatures there, <laughs> and they have six wings, and they're flying around, and they have their, their, their face hidden, and their, their feet are, are sort of covered, and I guess the other two keep them up in the air. I don't know what's going on there. But these people, all they do, these, these angels, is they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and they do it forever, and it doesn't get old to them. 
These same ones who see God in all his glory and they they can't even understand how big and massive he is. So they they hide their eyes. But when they look at the gospel, that impresses them, too. Their mouths drop. This holy God we worship has put together this most amazing and marvelous and weird worldly plan that sinners can be made righteous and actually dwell with God for eternity. When the angels see this, they're impressed. Yet, when is the last time when we heard the gospel that our mouths dropped? When is the last time that we've really been impressed? When we hear what God has done for us, when we hear the, just how much he loves us when we hear that he has caused us to be born again past, that he has given us a living hope present, and that he has given us a future hope and inheritance. What does that do? Does that make our mouths drop? Does our joy in us well up like rivers of living water? Or do we just sit there and we say, I know that. You see, Peter doesn't want us to read this and be like, cool. This is dope. I love this. No, he wants us to be like, wait a second. Let's stop everything, what we're doing. Let's stop our busy lives. Let's stop our church-going traditions right now. And let's just stop in our spiritual routines and let us glance at the glory of God and the beauty of his gospel, and we should worship. That's what we should be doing. Yet we are the ones who have become numb to what God has done And we take it for granted. We have been given a great salvation that is making angels' mouths drop. And Peter says, this is what you need to think of often. You know, before he starts telling them what to do, because if you read the next passage, he says, basically, be holy for God is holy. (laughs) You're like, wait a second. (laughs) So he didn't just go into, hey, do what you got to do first. I want you to do this, 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 and other. That's how our spiritual sort of barometers work, right? The busier we are for God, the better off we are. But actually, he says, let me tell you first who you are. Let me tell you what he has done, and then go be holy. Why? Because we have no hope of holiness if we don't get this, if we don't get what God has done. And Peter opens his letter with an exhortation to messy people living messy lives by first telling them how great their salvation is in Christ Jesus. And this is the message that God wants us as Christians to hear this morning. He wants those who are here who are not Christians to be amazed at his mercy and his goodness and love. He wants those who are here who are Christians to be amazed at his goodness and his mercy and his love. So how are we to live as Christians in this jacked up world? We need to run to the gospel and find rest. We need to do this every single day, as Pastor Andrew and others have said. But man, I can't tell you again, this is very personal for me. I would not be here right now if it's not for the gospel. And I'm not talking about a message that I heard 17 years ago in a prison cell. I'm talking about a gospel that is now and real and current in my life. I would not be here 
My wife would tell you I was ready to quit ministry altogether. I was done. I did not know what was wrong with me, but the living waters of the gospel began to just nourish my weary and dry soul. And I believe that that's what we're supposed to do every day. Man, we are messed up people. We have insecurities and hurts and pains and histories and and just craziness. We're people pleasers and all this hidden sin. And yet the gospel says that when God looks at me, he sees a son that he is proud of, a son that he loves, a son that he delights in. I'm just going to pray that we actually believe that. I know that this isn't a very practical message in the sense that I didn't tell you anything to do. I just want to tell you what God has done and what he's done for me. So can I just pray that our mouths drop again? That those of us who have been Christian for a long time and have lost the joy of our salvation, can I pray that God in his infinite power would give us the joy that we could say with uh, David, restore the joy of my salvation. Let me pray. Father, oh man, we confess to you right now that there are stony parts of our hearts that are unaffected by the glorious good news of the gospel. Father, we confess to you that we have been spiritually self-sufficient and proud and arrogant. And we confess to you that we have been a joyless people at times. So, Father, I just want to pray something, Lord. I want to pray that you forgive us. And even in asking that, because of the gospel, we are forgiven. But we still want to confess and say these things and be honest and real with you, God. We're sorry for making the good news old news. So, Father, my prayer is after that is, please give us faith. It is hard for us to believe these truths. Our past salvation and redemption, our current living hope and our future inheritance, it is hard. So Father, please give us faith. Help us in our unbelief. And may today, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, may today be a day where our mouths drop and we are amazed afresh at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please, God, do that in our weary, spiritually tired hearts. And we'll give you all the credit, God. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.